Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And when we read in verse 1, and Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, we can picture Abraham. He's pulling up the stakes. He's moving his whole entourage of all those tents and all those servants and the camels and the goats and the sheep and the donkeys. And it was a big deal. And after all this you look at Abraham, and you know, you're kind of amazed when you see this happening in Abraham's life, when he goes through these moving. I mean, it was kind of comfortable in Hebron. It was comfortable in Hebron. Abraham knew the people. The people knew him. So in terms of coexisting with the people, it was all copacetic. Abraham was comfortable. Abraham had found, finally, some grazing land for all of his livestock. So in terms of providing for the needs of all the people that he was responsible for, Abraham was comfortable. It was comfortable there in Hebron. In Hebron, Abraham had a favorite place that we read about, the place where he called, the place where he stood before the Lord. That was his favorite place, because that was the place that had the great memories where he and God met, they talked together. That was the place where Abraham had his daily routine, you know. We can sort of see Abraham, you know, to now I do this, now I do that, this is here, that's there, everything is the way it should be, it's wonderful. And in Hebron, Abraham had become settled. He had a routine. He felt at ease there. So when we read in verse 1, Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, that's very upsetting. That's upsetting for Abraham. Abraham's leaving the land he knows. Abraham's leaving the people he knows. Abraham's leaving the field he knows. He's leaving his meeting place with God he knows. He's leaving his routine he knows, and he's going to where he doesn't know. So to leave all this for Abraham is very upsetting. It really brings the whole vision of the word upset. You know, things are turned upside down. It's not easy for Abraham. You ever been uprooted? You ever had to do this? Anyway, I wanted to leave the ranch, but apart from that, anyway. All right, so one day, everything seems so stable for Abraham. Everything seems so rooted, and the next day, upside down. It's like my friend, Jewish doctor, who just a few months ago spoke to his sister. They were celebrating Hanukkah with his family in La Jolla. And then two months later, he gets terrible headaches. He loses his balance. He passed out. He's diagnosed with a very aggressive brain cancer, not working. Overnight, overnight, his whole life is turned upside down. So we see in verse 1 how upsetting it was for Abraham to leave Hebron, to journey towards the south. This is not the first time in Abraham's life that he's had to pull up stakes, left all he knew and journeyed to the unknown. It's a pattern in Abraham's life. We see Abraham, he finds a nice place to live, he settles in, he puts everything in place, and then he's moving, very upsetting. This is the pattern in his life, and it's described, you might want to turn to this, in Hebrews 11, verses 9 through 10, verses that we have looked at before, we're very familiar with, but it's very interesting how it describes Abraham here, where it says, by faith, it starts off that way, because that's Hebrews 11, by faith, he, that's referring to Abraham, He sojourned 
in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him with the same promise, for he looked for a city whose foundation, whose builder and maker is God. The Greek word here for sojourn also has this meaning to live as a stranger and a foreigner, and we get that sense as it describes in that verse that he was living as in a strange country. So to further emphasize how upsetting this pattern was, he's going from one to place, it tells here that he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob. So from the time God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, we see Abraham on this pattern of being uprooted and leaving friends and family, country. He's going from Ur, then he settles in Haran, and then he's up from Haran. He's going to Egypt. He's up from there. He's going to Hebron, and now he's up from there again being uprooted. So the question is, all this uprooting in Abraham's life, what's he doing here? It says that what Abraham was doing In Hebrews 11.10, it says that, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and makers is God. Now, if you look at that and you say, okay, what is Abraham doing? He's looking for a city that God has designed, that God has built. He's looking for God's city. And when we first read that on the surface, without looking at Genesis and just looking at Hebrews, we say, oh, how noble of Abraham. Oh, he's a great man. Yeah, look at that, a real man of faith. And we think to ourselves, that's why Abraham never lived in a house always in tent, because he had this great desire to look for a city, so he was uprooting, and, and that's why he moved from place to place, because he was refusing to settle down, because of all the sin around him, so he kept moving and stuff like that. But the question is, was this really Abraham's idea to do all this uprooting? Was this Abraham's idea to do all this moving? I mean, was it Abraham who said, I mean, you just look at Hebrews and you might, be, you might say, you know what, Abraham, quite a man, because he gets up and he says, so much sin in this place, I've had it, I'm moving on. I'm deciding now to uproot the people and move to a different place, and then, have, then the sin there will get to me, I'm moving on. For all my life, I'm going to move on, move on until I reach heaven. Is that the way it was? Is that the way it was? Was all this uprooting really Abraham's idea to keep himself and his family from becoming too attached to the world? Well, the answer is in our chapter, in Genesis 20. Now, notice what Abraham said to Abimelech in verse 13. Genesis 20, verse 13. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, this is thy kindness, thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he's my brother. See, Abraham told Abimelech how it really was. And he says, you want to know what my life is? Color me a wanderer. I just wander from place to place. And then what he said to Abimelech is, you know what? Since God came to me, I have lived the life of a wanderer. I'm going from place to place. As a matter of fact, Abraham says to Abimelech, God caused me to do this. God caused me to wander. And Abimelech's probably looking at Abraham, his big entourage and all these tents and everything, and he's probably saying to himself, why is it that you don't just settle down? Here's all the land. You can choose what you want. And what's with all these tents? But the way that Abraham explains it to Abimelech, God caused me to wander Abraham's making it very clear that this wandering was not Abraham's idea. (laughs) He said, believe me. So Abraham is saying to Abimelech that if it was up to him, he would not choose this type of life of wandering, but God caused him to wander from his house. You know, he's like saying, my father's house wasn't so bad. God caused me to wander from my father's house. So, and then he says in verse 13, when he's speaking to Abimelech, at every place whither we shall come. So these words, at every place. So we can hear Abraham saying, Abimelech, you don't understand. It's been from one place after another, and it's going to be one place after another. I wish I could just settle down, stop all this wandering. 
Now, we don't want to go so far as to blame God or say it's God's fault. What we're saying here is that the most important word in verse 13 is the word caused. Caused. It was God who caused Abraham to move from place to place. It was God who caused Abraham to look for a city whose foundation and builder and maker is God. It was God who caused Abraham to wander from his father's house by calling him to go. Now, it was Abraham's choice as to whether or not he would say yes or no to God, but it was not Abraham's desire to all the time be wandering. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ, we said to him like Abraham did, anywhere, anytime, any place, you call it, I'll go. And when God saw that Abraham, with all of his riches, was in danger of not setting his hope and keeping his mind fixed on heaven, God caused him to wander and be uprooted. And that's the same with us. Like Abraham, we don't like to be uprooted and upset. But like Abraham, we want stability. Yes, who doesn't want stability? We want stability in our home, in our health, in our job, in our routine. But sometimes we have to say with Abraham, God caused me to wander. And he uprooted me. Why? So God would cause Abraham to look for this city, to have this heart of looking for the city with the foundations of righteousness. And so we read that Abraham chose this place now. He's between Kadesh and Shur in this place called Gerar. Gerar is between Hebron and Beersheba. It's toward the west. But the word Gerar means a lodging place or a rest for travelers, probably because it was on the way to Egypt and a place the travelers could stop and rest. But it was one of the five cities of the Philistines. And this is now Abraham's first contact with the people called the Philistines. The Philistines are the sea people. They're the ancient sea people. They were a vicious people. They were known for being good warriors. They had five cities. By the way, the word Palestine comes from the word Philistine. So the land of Canaan, that land over there, you can refer to that land as the land of Israel, or you can refer to it as the land of Palestine. It's the same place, but to call that land Israel or Palestine has two different implications. The implications are who should possess the land. To call the land Israel is to imply that the land should be possessed by the people God gave it to, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. But to call the land Palestine is to imply that the land should be possessed by the original inhabitants, the Philistines. This all goes back to replacement theology, where the belief is is that the church has replaced Israel, and that this is a growing movement among Christians, where they no longer see the land of Israel, but now they see the land as Palestine. For example, John Piper said, and I'll quote here, the existence of Israel in the Middle East and the extent of her borders and her sovereignty are perhaps the most explosive factors in world terrorism and the most volatile factors in the Arab-West relations. Now, Abraham is moving into this area. And the Hebrew word used in verse 1 for dwell is not another word. This word is the word gur. And gur means to live as a stranger or as an alien. It doesn't have the same meaning as the other word that's used for dwell, the other Hebrew word for dwell, which is to abide or shakan, what we talked about before. That was the word that God used to describe his tabernacle in Exodus 25.8 when he said, let them make me a sanctuary, that's the tabernacle, that I may dwell, shakan, among them, which is why the, the tabernacle in Hebrew is called the mishkan, or God referring to God's dwelling place, his abiding place. But the Hebrew word used here 
in verse 1 is not shikan, as in abiding, settling down, being comfortable. It's the word gur. And gur means to live, as I said, as a stranger and alien. It also has behind it the meaning of fear. Because in Deuteronomy 32.27, this verse appears where it says, Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, that's the word gur, were it not that I gur, that I feared the wrath of the enemy. See, gur has this connotation of being afraid. That's why it's used in Job 19.29, where Job says, Be ye afraid of the sword. And there's the word gur for afraid. Be ye gur, afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth punishments of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. So in verse 1, where it says that Abraham dwelt there, and the fact that the Hebrew word gur is used, it means that Abraham lived there as a stranger in fear. He was, a, he was afraid to be there. And this fear that Abraham had of living as a stranger in Philistine helps us to understand why he did what he did which is the next verse. It's been a very disturbing time for Abraham. And uh, yeah, I see you have the peace and assurance that we spoke of, but he's like us. You know, one minute singing, what have I to fear? What have I to dread? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. And then the next minute we're running scared and we're not leaning on the everlasting arms. So he's not leaning on the everlasting arms. What is now happening to poor Abraham? He's just seen the total destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He hasn't seen Lot. And he's so upset, and now he sees this more of these God-rebellious, God-defiant people, like just got destroyed, the Philistines, and he's just flat out plain afraid. And to make matters worse, he's got a beautiful wife. <laughs> Sarah's just so beautiful. I mean, she must have been. I mean, she's 89 years old, and she's just plain beautiful. You know, not many senior citizens qualify. <laughs> like Sarah did, you know. But when Abraham looked at Sarah, he said in Genesis 12, 11, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. That's the only time in the Bible where we read Abraham knew. He said, I know. <laughs> it was over the beauty of Sarah. She was very pretty. And there was a beauty in Sarah that evidently everyone saw. She was just so beautiful. But Abraham said, in essence, he was saying to her, Your beauty is going to kill me. I'm going to die because you're so beautiful. So this was Abraham's weakness. This was what he was afraid. He was afraid of being killed because of Sarah's beauty because someone else would want her for his wife. So he says to Sarah, look, if you say you're my sister, he says to himself, look, you say you're my sister, and it'll all make sense because they'll look at me and they'll see how handsome I am, and they'll say, yep, they go together. Okay, that's a joke. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Why in the world did Abraham do this again? I mean, we've seen Abraham do this in Egypt. I mean, this is all deja vu all over again. And we've seen that he's gone down this terrible road. But Sarah and Abraham, they made this agreement. Somehow it came to this agreement, like we read about in Genesis 12. And this is like the old agreement. It's revived again. And Sarah is going along with it. She's submissive to Abraham. She calls Abraham her Lord in chapter 18, verse 12. So when Abraham got into this Philistine city, he starts saying this again, verse 2. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. She's my sister. She's my sister. It was very wrong for Abraham to have done this because he exposed her to great danger. He endangered Sarah. And when we see this old fear just returns to Abraham, and he's afraid he's going to be killed. Now, to us, we look at this and we say, what's with you, Abraham? We look at this and we say, this is so unreasonable. This is so illogical. It's just hard for us to understand how you could be gripped by this fear. That's the way fear is. Fear is not logical. 
when it comes, it removes from us the ability to think. Fear, all Abraham saw was just fear. And when fear grips us, that's all we see is fear, nothing else. Fear has a voice. Fear has a very loud voice, and it's an overpowering voice. And when it speaks, it overpowers the voice that says, you know, God loves you and God will take care of you. Fear has a voice that overpowers that. Fear has a voice that overpowers all the promises of the Bible. And this overpowering voice, you can see it in verse 11, Genesis 20, verse 11, where Abraham says, because I thought, it says, surely the fear of God is not in this place. They will slay me for my wife's sake. See, in verse 11, when it says, Abraham said, because I thought, the Hebrew word for thought is amar. It means to say, to speak. So when Abraham says in verse 20, because I said, is the way it should be. Because I said, surely the fear of God is not in this place. So Abraham is saying that he just keeps saying to himself over and over again, that surely the fear of God is not in this place. Surely the fear of God is not in this place. And this was the fear that Abraham had that caused him to not hear anything else. So in verse 2, notice how God includes his two very important words about Sarah. It says that Sarah identifies her as his wife, which emphasizes how much he endangered Sarah. That was Abraham's wife that he said, she's my sister. Now, in verse 2, we see Abimelech. And by the way, Abimelech means the father of a king. It was a common name for these kings in the Philistines. They call them, there were several Abimelechs. We'll run into another one later. Just like there were a lot of pharaohs for the kings of Egypt, common name. So just as Abraham feared Abimelech would notice Sarah, and when he did not see her as the wife of Abraham, see, He feared that Abimelech would see Sarah as the wife of Abraham. And this is a very important point because later on, Abimelech is going to reprove Sarah for not uh, not appearing as the wife of Abraham. But anyways, he was afraid of that, and so he wanted Abimelech to see Sarah as Abraham's sister. So what happens? Abimelech takes Sarah to be his wife. Now, when we come to verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. There's something very interesting in these verses 1 through 3. In verse, if you look at verses 1 and 2, and you track out the word and, you'll find that it appears six times in verses 1 and 2. However, in contrast, in verse 3, the and stops, and then there's just an abrupt but the six times that and is used are like a downhill slide or steps going down. Verse one, and Abraham journeyed. That's the first step. And that's the first and there. That's the first step down with the Abraham moved into enemy territory. And then in verse one, and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur. See, that's the second and. That's the second step down. Remember, that's the word gur. And Abraham lived in fear. He was afraid. And then in verse 1, and sojourned in Gerar. That's the third and step down, with Abraham lived there as a foreigner. He lived as a foreigner. And then in verse 2, and Abraham said of his wife, said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. That's the fourth and step down, with and Abraham resorted to his old shield of lies, calling Sarah his sister. And verse 2, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent. See, that's the fifth and step down with Abimelech. Sure enough, notice Sarah, and he sent men for her. And then in verse 2, 
and took Sarah. So that's the sixth, that's the last, that's the sixth step, the and step down, and Abimelech's men took Sarah away from Abraham. Now those are the six and steps down, 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 down. And we expect from those ands that there would be four more and steps down, which we expect would have been, and Sarah had a baby with Abimelech, and Abraham died without having the promised baby with Sarah, and God's promises of sending the Redeemer through Abraham and saved man were stopped, and there was no salvation for man, and all men went to hell. See, That's the last four ands that are not there. That's where all this was heading with these six ands from verses one and two is they're stepping down to what's gonna happen. But those four more ands that are not written did not happen because verse three stopped it with the words, but God came. See, verse three, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, behold, thou art but a dead man. See, those three words are wonderful words, but God came. That's God's intervention. See, Abraham had made a mess of it all. And it was one and after another as steps down a course for a total catastrophe, but God came. And those three words in verse three, you could call those the theme of the Bible, but God came. Adam sinned in the garden. He made a mess of it all. With Adam, it was one and after another, blaming his wife and so forth, as steps down on a course for all people on the road to a total catastrophe of hell, but God came. And what he did when he came, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God intervened and stopped the ants. He stopped the ant steps down to hell by coming and giving a son. And to stop Adam's race, and stepped to perishing. That was the world's verse three, but God came, John three sixteen. Those three words in verse three are the theme in our lives. Because we all sinned, we all made a mess of our lives, and it was for us one end after another on our steps downward on our course for each one of us to a total catastrophe to end in hell. But God came and stopped it. And what did he do when he came? In Romans 5, 8, he commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he intervened, he stopped the end. He stopped those and steps down to hell by coming and loving us while we were yet sinners and dying for our sins. That's our personal verse three, but God came. And what happened in verse three when God came? We read that God came right to his man, Abimelech. And we read that God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. He spoke so clearly to Abimelech that there was no question for Abimelech as to what God said. You know, there are three characteristics about God. He's omnipresent, which means that God's everywhere. And Abimelech was about to see how God was everywhere. He's omniscient, which means that God knows everything. And Abimelech was about to see how God knows everything. He's omnipotent, which means that God is all-powerful. And Abimelech was about to see that. We don't know the details, but we know that Abimelech had not yet come near Sarah. So Abimelech was preparing to sleep with Sarah. So the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God comes to Abimelech in his sleep, in a dream by night when Abimelech is sleeping. Abimelech was preparing for new life from a baby with Sarah. So the omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God says to Abimelech that he was a dead man, speaking of life. He was, Abimelech was preparing for 
sexual act of marriage with Sarah. So the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient, God did something related to the sexual acts of marriage. We don't know the details. We don't need to know the details. But whatever God did is described in verse 18, for the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So from that, Abimelech came to personally know just how omniscient, just how omnipresent, just now how omnipotent God is, even into his bedroom. As it says in verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, you are but a dead man. Father, we thank you so much for how much you cared, and we thank you for these three words, but God came. We thank you for stopping the catastrophe in Abraham's life. We thank you for stopping the catastrophe in the world. We thank you for stopping the catastrophe in our lives by coming and from heaven to earth to be our Savior. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.